You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 19 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. And before we get started, I've got some great news, not just for you, listener, but also for these two guys. We are only 11 people away from reaching a huge milestone of 500 subscribers, maybe wow. even less, because it has been a, a second since I checked, but only 11 people away from reaching the almighty half 1,000, five. 100s huge milestone and i don't know about you guys but when we first started this project that the idea that you know just a few months in and we would already be at this level uh that's shocking to me so listener i want to thank you guys for subscribing and continuing to listen every week and i now am giving y'all a call to action to any listener who nice. is listening right now unite the clans subscribed that's right <laughs> i'm king bluetooth right now go ahead and hit subscribe we only need 11 it would be so cool if we could get to episode 20 with having 500 subscribers and now that i've said it on the podcast you'll know if we made it because if i don't say anything we just awkwardly ignore it it means we didn't make 500 subscribers <laughs> but i'm confident can i be honest you out there when we yes. when we started this, I thought we would have three listeners, and it would be the, the three people who contributed to it. <laughs> <laughs> not not even our mothers would be listening. Yeah, but I, I've been amazed. I've been I've been going to I've been going through some of this material in a different format in a Bible study at our church, and and the past two weeks, just for example, I've stayed after forty five minutes to an hour answering questions beyond the material. Uh, so I, I really do think there's a hunger, at least among some people, uh, to discuss it because. We, I don't think we have done a very good job as a whole of engaging what the Bible has to say about some of this stuff. Well, I can tell you straight up that, you know, I'm no stranger to reading the first three chapters of Genesis. You know, that's a pretty, you know, early thing that you learn to read. And I've read probably the, these chapters over and over, probably hundreds of times in my life. But I definitely have gone and through it and seen it with new eyes uh, during the course of this podcast. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. So... So we haven't we haven't exhausted you on Genesis one through three. Now I wouldn't say that. I, <laughs> in fact, I think um, I need to count, but I'm pretty sure that almost half of this entire podcast's runtime has been dedicated to Genesis chapter three. And now that we're here at the end with only three verses left to go in chapter three, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to say goodbye to to Genesis chapter three. Yeah, how um, did Adam and Eve feel? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm not, not ready, ready to, say, to goodbye say goodbye to Eden. <laughs> I, I was about, I was about to say don't don't be too eager to leave Eden. You don't come back very quickly after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's mm. good. So, that but, good. but you know what this reminds me of? I was, I was thinking of the podcast, and uh, and we we so often talk about how uh, the Bible is the true story that gives inspiration to so many other stories. And I have no yes. idea how I got on this, but uh, thinking about wrapping up. Um, some of our discussions of Genesis 1 through 3, the story that came to mind uh, of all stories was Cinderella, which on the surface seems like it has nothing to do um, 
with uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh, but Cinderella, you have this uh, girl who grows up in squalor, uh, and then you know the fairy godmother appears and gives her a taste of something better. She's brought into the palace, but she has a limited time there. You know, the cr the clock strikes midnight, and, and suddenly her fancy stagecoach turns back into a pumpkins, and her you know magnificent horses become mice again. Uh, mice is the plural, right? Correct. I don't want to sound dumb. Yeah, I'm, so I'll say something dumb inevitably, uh, and then I'll be canceled. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the clock strikes midnight, and then this wonderful you know state beyond her normal existence goes away, and she loses that, right? But, mm -hmm. but that's not the end of the story, right? Because you have this lingering reminder uh, in the glass slipper that is left behind in the palace. And, and the, the beauty of the story will be that Prince, Char Prince Charming, or whatever his name is, he will leave the palace and go to her squalor looking for her so she can come back and live there forever. And, and Man, that seems pretty directly inspired by what we're reading. Adam and Eve are losing not only a place, uh, a, a place of being, they're losing a state of being. This is the whole John Milton Paradise Lost thing. But the beauty of the story is that even after they're kicked out of the garden, the story of the Bible is the God who leaves the garden uh, and seeks us out so that eventually we get to come back in. Um, Man, I, I love that analogy, Nathan. That's so good. So I just, okay, I just Wikipedia'd uh, Cinderella, and I was trying to figure out— uh, Please don't you know, tell me I ripped off Wikipedia. No, where does this story—where <laughs> does this story come from? I was thinking ancient European culture— it it goes back, <laughs> it goes back way way back to ancient Greek culture. Even in it was a Greek colony in Egypt, and it's like way 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 back. I had no idea that this. I had no idea this was. But then again, I just I just made the recommendation old. that it goes back even farther than that. <laughs> wow. Oh wait, way to one up, Nathan. Uh, yeah, that's actually interesting that you say that, Matt, because that means it's not out of the possibility that. The new the re, the readers of the New Testament may have been familiar with the story of Cinderella. <laughs> oh, Cinderella. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It's just well, there's nothing new under the sun, man. It's all recycled. Mm, and indeed. whether or not we structuralism, it, yeah, whether or not we acknowledge it, our stories are connected to the idea of the supernatural and the transcendent. Uh, we were we were talking earlier before we started recording about just how many of the top. 10 grossing movies of all time. We actually looked at the top 20, the overwhelming majority. I think we found two movies in the top 20 that were non-transcendent, just normal movies. And the, the, one of those was the, you know, the Titanic. It was a historical film. But, or, but Matt, e even then I read a book several years ago uh, by a British author and I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but it was a neat book. The book was called Getting High, A Savage Journey to the Heart of the Dream of Flight. And he was talking about how across literature, across cultures, there is a fascination with the transcendent, things that go beyond everyday experience. So even on that list of top 20 movies, even when we weren't looking at, you know, something that had superheroes with powers that the normal man lacks, even then it was stuff like Fast and the Furious type movies where you're moving at uh, faster speeds than normal, right? Uh, it, it's movies like Titanic, which is this feat of engineering. Not even God himself can sink this ship. A feat mm. of engineering that's supposed to be breaking a barrier of what should be attainable. 
Uh, and, and I think even when you have, uh, you know, even when you don't have a directly supernatural element in a movie plot, it's amazing how often you see that transcendent quality, even if it's a romance movie, a love like no other love the world has ever known. Well, and also talking about just the whole idea of why we love the supernatural. Well, I think you think like you guys think that we love the supernatural because ultimately we're in a story about gods and men, gods and humans. Uh, and I, we think we live in a supernatural world. But I was listening to a talk given by Jordan Peterson here lately, is that even if you are an naturalistic, atheistic evolutionist, you should still love the supernatural. Because if there's nothing beyond the material world, natural selection has chosen it to be a, a, a an existence of humanity that at least believes and embraces the supernatural. So whether or not the supernatural is real, it's important to humanity, whether you believe in God or not. It is a part of our culture and our fabric and society. Of course, I believe in the supernatural because I do believe it's real, and I think that's a better explanation than Jordan Peterson's. But uh, every one of us, whether you're religious or not, uh, are, are connected to this the idea of the supernatural world. So yeah, I think, and, uh, go and ahead. I, I, my favorite stage play is Inherit the Wind. Are y'all familiar with that one? Oh it's, yeah, it's, I'm it's focused on the Scopes Monkey Trials. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the Clarence, the Clarence, Dar Darrow. Darrow, yeah, the Clarence Darrow figure. I think he's called Mister Drummond in the stage play, mm -hmm. um, but uh, his figure uh, uh, has this speech uh, that's you know kind of doing faith and science, and he's talking about the liability of taking all of the supernatural. So he's just tried to dismantle. Uh, some of the biblical interpretations that were offered. But in his closing comments, he's also coming to grips with the liability of dismantling that way of seeing the world. Uh, and so he trying to, it, it captures uh, the the beauty of some modern technology, but the loss that the gains give you. So he says, you can learn to sail the skies in your airplanes, but the birds may lose their wonder, right? Mm. Um, the, the, the more naturalistic... Uh, more naturalistically we see and explain the world uh how whatever gains we think we're making there's there's a loss there too is this all there is and there's there's an existential crisis potentially in that and even if you're an evolutionist uh you should be okay with people teaching even if you're an atheist you should be okay with people teaching that there's a god because again this the overwhelming history of humanity acknowledges the transcendent and it's been a healthy thing Man, things are getting real today on the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast. I know, right? <laughs> we're, we're just calling out everybody now. <laughs> well, on that note, um, as we leave chapter three, let's follow Adam and Eve as they leave Eden. We're going to be, let's just read the final three verses of chapter three. Yeah. I'll go ahead and yep. I'll do that. You going to do that? I'll do it. And as always, listener, we are reading from the ESV version of the Bible if you want to follow along. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And it's interesting that we talked about, you know, the, the mon 
how the world is not mundane, but there's a, a desire to indulge in the supernatural. Because at the end, we see here, you know, we've talked about the Garden of Eden being, you know, the, the hilltop or the mountaintop garden where it intersects the supernatural realm. And here, Adam and Eve are leaving and going, you know, into the mundane world. And God's saying, hey, we can't, we can't have this guy sticking around in the supernatural area. And the only, you know, the only contact that they can have at this point with the supernatural world that they left behind is, you know, cherubim and uh, a spinning flaming sword, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 it's, and it's neat because the change of place comes hand in hand with God's acknowledgement of a change of state in their being, right? Mm. Man has become, therefore man must go. Um and I think that's interesting, uh, all our talks about, you know, the transcendent and the supernatural, uh, because it's it's interesting. The text not only has a relocation, they're put out of the garden. Now there is some kind of barrier from experiencing that. And that, that will go on to be a big thing in Scripture, right? Later when you have the tabernacle and the temple, not just anybody can go into God. There's a barrier. Right. There's a curtain. Uh, and it's not until the crucifixion of Jesus, talk about symbolic action, it's not until the crucifixion of Jesus that the curtain will tear from, notably, from top to bottom, um, a heaven uh, a heaven down action. So, uh, but Gandalf, it, it was neat hearing, uh, it was neat hearing your take on that because I feel like so often in the podcast, Matt and I do a disproportionate uh, amount of the talking. I would be curious. You've heard us talk about this for weeks. What what's some of what you've taken away um, from the Genesis one through three discussion? Well, I mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, how it was nice to read it with a fresh perspective. And we talked about this in the early, early episodes. By the way, listener, if you are you know just coming in, you've not listened to those early episodes, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to them because we lay out the entire thesis of what this podcast is all about and how we propose that you approach the Bible. What, so, welcome, subscribers 490 through 500. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Could you be the one to be subscriber 500? Pause right now and find out. You That's can, not true. You, you can will, change you not the world by subscribing to this podcast. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, we talked about how the Bible is best read as a narrative, and that's something that is not typically taught you know, in churches, at least not in the church context that I grew up in. For me, for the longest time, Genesis was all about it was all about whole holding up certain theological systems and the genesis was the evidence that people the place that people went for the evidence to support whatever theological system they wanted to approve of or disprove of but it's so nice that we have read it and you know genesis is not really anything like that genesis is all about setting up the story that is to come and it reminds me you know i will never apologize for going back to this but it reminds me of the opening of the Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> Who could have predicted that? All right, because what do we start with? We start with a declaration that the earth is changed. Ah. It used to be this, oh, this okay. realm of unimaginable. The student has become the master. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it used to be this realm of unimaginable harmony and supernatural worlds coexisting. And then, you know, the ring comes and mankind fails in his task. And now the world is winding down and the age of magic is coming to an end. And that this, these last three chapters of, or the last three verses of chapter three feel kind of like that, right? It's the leaving behind of the fantastic and the supernatural and the idyllic 
Kind kind of like at the end of Return of the King, there is a departure. There is. And it, it if it's a perfect setup. It's it's the opening of Lord of the Rings, it's the uh starting crawl crawl of Star Wars. Like now we have all the pieces that we need to contextualize the story going forward because everything from this point on, from my knowledge of the Bible, is going to be contextualized by these first three chapters yeah right? and because it's going to be a eternal pursuit of you know god of his people trying to get back to that edenic state yeah that's a good take and and you know i i don't want to dismiss and i hope it doesn't come off dismissive the, the overall approach of the podcast of the importance of doctrine and uh doctrine is so important because one of the liabilities we take more of a narrative approach in this uh, podcast, largely to fill a void of, of you know, the usual channels of discussion. Um, but uh, one of the liabilities of our approach is it, there's an infinite possibility to ask new questions of a story, right? Because stories are telling the story um, that they're telling, but they're not necessarily discounting all the possibilities with which they are not directly concerned. Uh, so that that make that makes stories liable to have stuff read into them and pulled out of them, which is why we've tried to stress we don't want to exist in an interpretive vacuum. Uh, we try to consult uh, church history. How were these texts understood by Jewish and Christian interpreters before us? All that stuff. Uh, but at some point, doctrine has to interact with what we're doing because it provides. Uh, I don't know that people are going to love this, but it provides some guardrails on where you don't want the text or where the text is not going uh, and and would not be healthy to pursue some of those paths. Well, to pick um, up on what you're saying there, for instance, I remember in seminary uh, in a class on Romans, Romans is typically the New Testament go-to book for the doctrine of salvation for many of us. And I remember my professor saying, listen, Romans is not a book of theology. It's not a treatise of theology. Romans is a letter. However, Romans is full of doctrine and theology. So it is helpful to do what you're saying. Acknowledge what this is. It is a story, but also by through the story, understanding the doctrine, it, it provides these these guidelines, these guardrails that you're speaking of. Yeah, and and I would say, uh, and this is why I stand behind what we're trying to do, you know, more or less successfully on the podcast. I would say that what we're trying to do um, is not take anything away from what people believe about Genesis. I, th I think it's it's more, not less, right? It's 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 yeah, a we said that multiple times. It's you know, so I I was talking in a Bible study the other day um, uh, about some of this stuff. And I said, you know, I, I think we've this side of the Enlightenment, this side of scientific method and and so many things. It, it makes the Bible easier and more palatable uh, for us if we go with the interpretation that most readily fits the way we already see the world. Um, and I said the struggle is the biblical text itself pushes back on that. And, and we, we tend to develop what Heiser calls a selective supernaturalism. And I said, so. I said, pretend you've looked at a quarter for years and you can draw the, you know, the head side of that quarter from memory. You know exactly what it looks like. Uh, you, you know, you're familiar with the weight in your hand, the dimensions. I'm not saying that you don't know what a quarter is. I'm saying you get a better understanding of the quarter if you'll also, you know, peer behind the curtain and look at the other side as well. 
Uh, and that, I think that's the relationship between story and system when it comes to theology. Um, uh, doctrine is is fleshed out when you look uh, when you look at the context uh, in which it was revealed, which is this very storied context, which we've come back to again and again. You know, an element of reading Genesis, reading the at least these for three first three chapters that uh, I had never really approached before is, and you, Nathan, were instrumental in. Uh, delivering this through the podcast is how much how much the outside world and the context that Genesis was written affected its writing you know right we we talk, we talk a lot about the word polemic in in the early episodes of the podcast and it's cool to see how basically the narrative of Genesis 1 through 3 is a pushback against the false competing ideologies of their day and it's cool because we have, we have done it hundreds of times on this podcast, but to draw comparisons of the narrative of the scripture to narratives in, you know, both pop and ancient culture. And that, that's something that I probably wouldn't have been comfortable with doing before this podcast because it used to make me uncomfortable that there were so many similar elements of the biblical narrative to ancient narratives. That's always something that, you know, we don't really want to talk about like, oh, wow, wow, these things really match up. But after reading it like this, I think that uh, I, I actually I'm ready to embrace that. I'm ready to like look for where the the ancient mythologies and the mythology of the Bible intersect. I think that's a cool element of this podcast. Yeah, and I actually had a discussion with someone on that last night. We were actually talking uh, about a question, and um, uh, they actually asked me a question from Matt. Matt, this was your pastor growing up, right? Adrian Rogers. Yeah. So I, I, last night I get home from church. Uh, I've had a long day, and uh, I, you know, I, now I'm perusing the Adrian Rogers uh, sermon library on my Logos Bible software, looking up what he had to say on a few issues. And it's neat because Adrian Rogers was one who would do a different version of this. Um, so like several pastors, he would zoom in something like the flood narrative in Genesis, right? And he would say, isn't it interesting that all these cultures around the Bible also had a story about a worldwide flood. Matt was actually telling me that there's something akin to this, you know, uh, trans. this is a transcontinental phenomenon. Mm. Um, but isn't it interesting that all of these uh, cultures around the Bible had a flood story? Um, and so for Adrian Rogers, he says, even if the, the particulars of, of all those stories are not exactly the same, we're saying that the Bible is the true version of that story, and that the historical probability of the Bible's truthfulness on this issue is bolstered in that even where there are differences, everyone in, in antiquity seemed to assume a worldwide flood. That's not new to you guys, right? Correct. No. But what I think, it, I think, I think what is new is saying, hey, it is some of the intersection of Israel and its surrounding na uh, nations and you know cultures and mythologies on other issues is... Can that, in a different way, be used to bolster the credibility of the truth claims of the Bible as well? I think that's the space that we're speaking to, uh, taking some, moving from something like a flood to, like you said, that that polemic against the gods of the other nations. And, and it's not even the similarities, right? It's where they differ. Exactly. Because we talked about exactly. in the early days. Nathan, you talked about how a lot of um, other competing religions in the in the days of the authorship of Genesis talked about how there there's a chaoticness to the creations their creation myths right there's like bodies of water slamming together and then oh what do we see in genesis 1 oh we see 
the spirit of God bringing order to the waters, right? So it's not just where they're similar, but it's also in where they diverge and how they push back against other myths. Well, before we wrap up Genesis, one of the things we need to do is I do want us to deal with these last few verses. So Gandalf, as we've been talking about the big ideas, take all those big ideas that you've been articulating for us this episode and you and Nathan have been fleshing out. Take those and apply those to these last three verses and pretend like you're, we're sitting at your house in small group, Gandalf. Walk us through. You have these tools in the bag now. What do you see in 22 and following? Help us understand. I mean, we see here, you know, we have seen, you know, a, ma- a majestic supernatural world be created. We've seen man taking, we've talked about taking out of the dust, being put into the Garden of Eden. And now it's almost like we have done a complete reversal, right? Because it specifically says, it's like you're going out from the ground which you were taken, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that's an element that I would not have picked up before talking about, Matt, you pointed out how uh, Adam was not not just created out of the dust, but the dust outside of the garden. Now he's being put back. That's such a key point. Yes, I, I think that's so cool. And now we have this you know, return from the mundane back to the mundane, right? They're being driven out of Eden. And they're, like Nathan talked about, there's there's one direction, right? They have left, and now there's, you know, cherubim, which I'm sure are not little naked babies. I'm sure those are terrible, terrifying <laughs> monsters. Terrible. And, uh, <laughs> monsters. So a flaming sword, which may or may not be, like, spinning every direction or moving. I don't know. Is but, it a, is it a know. propeller or is it a perimeter? <laughs> well, I'm imagining that scene from episode three of Star Wars where General Grievous spins his lightsabers <laughs> around at Obi-Wan. That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> but at least enough information to tell us that this is about the place where heaven meets earth. And now yeah. they're exiled from that place. So Gandalf, the clock, the clock strikes group, midnight and the stagecoach has turned back into a pumpkin. You got it. <laughs> That's right. So if I'm sitting in small group and I say, what is this business that mankind has become like one of us? How would you answer that now based on, you know, these several weeks that we've had in Genesis chapters one through three? How would you have answered it previously? And then how would you answer it now? Are we, are we trying, are we trying to promote better than fiction Bible podcast, small group material? <laughs> there you go. That's right. Um, if Lifeway still, ex- if Lifeway still exists, well, you can, you can buy it on their website. That's going to age really poorly if you're listening to this listener and Lifeway has already gone out of business. <laughs> I apologize for that. Oh, <laughs> um, man. Well, Matt, to answer your question, before we started this podcast, I would have very confidently answered that when God says uh, man has become like one of us, well, that's the Trinity. You know, I'm, I feel pretty confident saying that the three of us affirm the truth of the Trinity. Yes. Amen. But now I'm reading it and I say, okay, this is God talking to the supernatural beings in the Garden of Eden, which is not, you know, maybe listener, you hear that and you want to pull back against that because that's a little bit different. But is that so far outside the camp? We already know there's at least one other guy running around, mm. right? You know, there well, was he's, he's crawling on his belly at this point. But yeah, that's right. He he's he's not having a great day <laughs> at this at this moment. But yeah, that's so. That's what I'm getting out of it here. I'm he's saying, hey, mankind is like us in the sense that they have attained knowledge that we had. They were not meant to have it. And now he's got to go. Well, that's excellent. There is two 
or there are two details we need to discuss that are new to us before we leave Eden here. And that is, what does it mean now that mankind is like them? Does it mean that they are sinners like we are, or is it talking about something else? We need to touch on that. And then we also need to talk at least a, a moment about what it means to be east of the Garden of Eden. Uh, so let, let me start with talking about mankind becoming like one of us. And then, Nathan, uh, you have such a great explanation about East of Eden that I think it would be a great place for us to stop this podcast on. Sure. But as a final thing here in looking at mankind has become like one of us, this is not saying that God and the spiritual beings have a sinful nature. Okay, this is not. This is saying mankind has become like one of us in that he has gained this knowledge. This is not saying that God is a sinner. So mankind has has broken God's commands and is now going to be exiled outside of Eden. Now, what's going to be interesting is that when you get to chapter four, God is right there in the mix. Yeah. And we have this, uh, again, because of our systematics, which are good to have guardrails. We press heavily as Protestants, this whole idea that there's a wall of separation between us and God. Yes, but it's a wall of separation preventing us to go to him. There is Not, no wall of separation preventing him to come to us. Because God is going to be involved throughout this story, not just in Jesus, but far long before Jesus even comes on the scene. Yeah. God is interacting with his people. In fact, you're going to see it even in the next chapter as early, you know, as the first. God few warns Cain. God yes. warns Cain. Yeah, Ma uh, Matt, you, you captured exactly where I would go with the final point. Mankind leaving Eden does not mean God leaves the story. That's so um, good. And so, and so this is this big thing that you'll see. Mankind goes eastward, and, and, and pay attention to this eastward drift. We won't fully unpack it here because of time, but notice that when Cain kills Abel, which we haven't discussed yet, what direction is Cain going to go? He's going to go eastward. Uh, this is kind of prefiguring and setting up something that will happen later. God will call his people, starting with Abraham, from an eastward place, Ur of the Chaldees. And, and Abraham will make his way westward to the land of promise. Uh, but then when Abraham gives birth to this great nation and God takes them out of Egypt and brings them into the promised land and sets up a covenant with them, they will break that covenant. And what will their punishment be? They will go into exile. And what direction is that? always to the east. Uh, that's so significant. Uh, but just to end where we started, uh, God is God is this prince figure. I mean, the glass slipper is still there. Even though the stagecoach is a pumpkin, God is the God who leaves the palace, or in this case, the garden, to seek out that which is lost, uh, uh, to go out of the garden into the dust so that mankind can be brought back into the garden. I can't wait to unpack that in Absolutely. weeks to come. That's really good, and we have talked previously about the glass slipper, the glass slipper itself, which is this promise that through humanity, God's going to bring His people back in. So that that glass slipper, that promise, is even though it was, it's kind of found wedged in His, you know, pronouncement of judgment on the serpent that we talked about. 
a few uh, a few weeks ago. It's there. It's there. It and, represents the potential and the brokenness. Yeah. And what's going to be exciting in next week's episode, uh, we're going to be talking about the glass slipper. Glass slipper. So, anyway, love Genesis I, 1 through 3. Hate to leave it. I'm sure Adam and Eve hated it more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, it, man, it's it's been helpful for me. I've learned a lot. And uh, we're looking forward to a whole lot more. Well, Adam and Eve have left Eden, and so we too must leave Genesis 1 through 3. It's been great, and thank you for listening, if indeed you still are. And next week, just like God stuck around with them in their exile, I hope you guys will stick around with us and continue as we continue to flesh out the story in the Bible narrative as we have left the era of creation and we move on to the next story. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Shalom. All right. I feel good about that one. I feel good.